You're listening to the Awesome Podcast Network. The Awesome Podcast Network presents The Republic City Report, a Legend of Korra podcast. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. Put your hands together for your host, Republic City correspondent, Tim Bridgewater Bender. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 24 of Republic City Report, a Legend of Korra podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bridgewater Bender. I want to take your time out to thank you guys for joining me once again. Um, this episode, of course, is going to be pertaining to chapter 9 of The Legend of Korra, which is titled The Stakeout. Uh, this, of course, is the first episode to actually air solely online ever since the whole switch from uh, Nickelodeon on television to uh, digital distribution has began of course if you'd like to hear my thoughts about that make sure you check out episode 23 of this podcast it was sort of a supersized episode because I was out of town for a while and uh, I had a lot of emails to catch up on when I got back as well as I had to give my thoughts and opinions on the whole digital distribution thing so if you missed that make sure you go back to the previous episode because uh, I won't really address it that much here this will this will be some more of a standard episode um, normal runtime and everything like that, but there are a couple things that I will talk about, of course. Um, I like to remind all of my listeners, as well as let new listeners know, that this is more so of a uh, uh, listener feedback sort of a podcast. So that means I pretty much uh, I always welcome your emails and your comments. Uh, you can send me an email at republiccityreport at gmail.com, as well as heading over to facebook.com slash republiccityreport if you'd like to leave a comment or send me a message. Um, once again, uh, that page is not super active, but I'm slowly but surely getting likes there. The more I get, the more content that I'll post, but you'll have to go over there and like that page. Uh, there's been a few posts on there. I've had a couple of listeners post a few things. I posted a few links of other things that I mentioned in other episodes. So head over there if you'd like to give those things a, um, a look-see and, and check it out and see what you think. Now, with that being said, I have a couple emails I'm going to read this episode. Uh, I'm only going to do two this time, and uh, that way I can try to address these emails in full. Uh, so I've got an email from Haven and Mark coming up that I'm going to read from you guys, but of course that's going to come after we discuss this episode. Uh, another thing that I want to remind you guys of is that, of course, this is episode 24, and if you've been listening to the past few episodes of the podcast, you know that I'm trying to do something a little more special for episode 25. Now, I've got a couple suggestions from making music, songs, uh, reading the, the expanded comics that picked up after Avatar The Last Airbender, some pretty good suggestions. There's some things that I probably won't have time to do, but I'm not exactly counting anything out at this point. Another suggestion that I actually brought up was that if you have any questions that you just want to ask me that don't even pertain to The Legend of Korra, that's another option as well. And I can just try to do a combination of both. I can try to um, do some of the things you suggested so far, as well as if I get enough questions just about me, my life, or projects that I've been a part of, or things that I'm going to do in the future, um, or anything like that, then I could just kind of combine all of that into one episode, as well as talking about that episode for the week. My voice is a little bit better this time, I hope. 
Uh, my apologies once again for it being so bad last time. Like I said, uh, it was a very long week. And uh, this week is starting to kind of prove to be just as long. But I want to thank you guys for coming back and sticking with me and everything like that. And actually, upon listening to episode 23 of the podcast, uh, myself, I realized that some of the things that I was saying probably got pretty confusing at a point because I got I got to this point where I started referring to the episodes of the show by the episodes of the podcast numbered. Now, obviously, if I said there were some points where I said episode 23 and episode 24, when I when I talk about those numbers, I'm talking about the podcast, right? Even though I may be uh, saying it in such a way to where I'm also referring to the corresponding episodes of the show. I'm sorry, it gets really confusing. And sometimes when I'm talking, I don't realize that I'm, I'm saying those kinds of things. But just remember that when I say that, I'm referring, I'm also referring to the corresponding episode of the show. So for example, this is episode 24, it corresponds with episode nine, The Stakeout. Um, once again, every now and then I listen back and I, I mistakenly say some of the wrong names and everything like that. But I want to thank you guys for bearing with me through all that. I do know my stuff, but you know, if you just get to a point where you're just talking nonstop for 30 or 40 minutes, sometimes you kind of mix things up and you don't realize it until after the fact. So enough about that. Um, for now, let's just go ahead and jump into this episode. Once again, first episode to air strictly online. Um, I actually watched it at Nick.com. I actually did watch it while I was still out of town. Um, a friend of mine was there and we pulled it up on his Kindle and we kind of watched it and, you know, it was very small and kind of pixelated. And once again, I won't get into too many details about my thoughts about that, but I rewatched it again today on my computer and it streamed pretty well for the most part. You know, the HD was there for the most part, but obviously I still prefer my television. So I already missed that. Um, but enough about that. Let's just get into the episode. Um, of course, what we left off with uh, with the previous episode is that basically Korra and Naga and the rest of Team Avatar are pretty much set off in pursuit of Ai Wei um, because, uh, you know, Korra was basically saying that, you know, Naga can track Ai Wei as long as we have something to track him with, which is something that Lin provided them with at the end of the previous episode. So it pretty much just takes off with that. Um, they end up in this place that's uh, kind of a desert sort of a um, location at this place called the Misty Palms Oasis uh, because that's kind of where the trail ends now what they do when they get there is that they find out immediately that they are wanted <laughs> so we kind of get this this funny sort of a scene of course Bolin jumps in and he's thinking like oh wow we're I'm a mover star but I don't that's I I see why they have a poster of me but why do they have a poster of you guys and then quickly they say well those are wanted posters because remember this is something we talked about before and I said that this was going to come back around and it did and that is the fact that the earth queen is still out there still looking for them ever since they freed the airbenders from Ba Sing Se and helped them escape so now we're starting to get this to come back around and basically there are these wanted posters but they get out of there rather quickly because which is a little weird to me because i think they could have taken all of those guys in that in that bar or whatever it was but they don't want to draw any more attention to themselves so they're thinking well let's just get out of here so 
uh, they come up with the idea of okay, we need to we need to snoop around, but obviously we may need some sort of a disguise, uh, which kind of just provides an opportunity for it to be a, even more comic relief with a little montage sort of a thing of these guys getting dressed in these kind of silly. <laughs> Sorry, I kind of have the hiccups. I apologize for that. These silly sort of costumes, and um, we get a real funny shot of Asami and Core just kind of sitting back. Uh, and just just look, just watch that again and look at the looks on their faces. But all of this disguise and everything in some ways just kind of ends up making them stand out even more. As later on, we kind of run into a situation where uh, we're kind of seeing some eyes on, on Bolin and Mako. And we're kind of, you know, at the time we're thinking that, well, they're just kind of being spotted and everything. But through a couple of quick events, we, we realize, you know, from them being chased across the town pretty much. That they're just kind of being chased by these people that are fans of Bolin, which is just kind of funny because uh, I think I've said this before. One of my least favorite things about the previous season was that whole Bolin mover star thing because I just felt like it didn't really build to anything and didn't really serve much of a purpose. Uh, I kind of still feel that way about it. So when they remind us of that, it kind of, I don't know, kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit. I mean, it wasn't terrible by any means, but it just wasn't one of the more fascinating things. I mean, it did show a lot about Bolin, but, you know, it, it just seemed like this big kind of side story that just wasn't really necessary. But it's kind of funny. But, you know, but one of the good things about this show and, and The Last Airbender is that very rarely do they just leave anything untouched you know if they bring up something at one point it usually comes back around at some point which makes it feel much more like a full fully developed world where things actually matter and actions have consequences and there's some evolution and things like that 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 comes along so for that reason i don't mind it but they basically end up realizing here and i'm just gonna kind of get to the point because this was one of those episodes where uh there wasn't a lot happening in terms of event to event to event to event now we do learn a lot from this episode which i'll get to in a minute but of course we're still looking for Iway here so um they did manage to actually find out what room at this resort that Iway was staying in so through a couple of events and kind of funny moments with once again bolin being a mover star and everything uh, they re- they get a room right across from the room that I weighs in and they decide that they want to do a stakeout and just kind of, you know, wait for him to leave, wait for, for him to lead them to Zahir and everyone and, and to see what's going on. Now, as with many stakeouts and many different films and television and TV shows and everything, there's got to be some time that's got to be killed right in order for it to be believable. You can't just go sit down in there and all of a sudden the person comes out. It's got to be an adventure to some extent. There's got to be something else going on. So the <laughs> the creators decide to remind us of this game of pie show that we saw plenty of times in The Last Airbender, which I always thought was just a cool thing. Um, Uncle Iroh used to love playing pie show. And he brought it up any time. I mean, it was <laughs> it was just one of these running things that was just so great about the show. And one and, and that just brings me to another small point that I want to make is that I've always talked about how detailed and fleshed out these worlds are enough to where they can even create these other games within the world. Now, I'm sure Pie Show in its simplest form is probably based on some real life type of a game of strategy and chance. Right. But the fact that they just kind of developed their own and kind of made it this thing, I love that about it. And even though in book one, while I wasn't crazy about the uh, the, the uh, professional bending, 
I still love the fact that they did that because it just once again, it makes the world fear feel so real. You know, that there's there are these competitions that take place. There are these games that, you know, they turn bending into a sport. I think I said this before that if something like that would have happened in real life, eventually someone would try to find a way to make money out of it. You know, that's just how things go. So that was cool, as well as the game that even um, Sue's kids and in in, uh, in Zhao Fu came up with. You know, it's just little details like that that just makes the world the world feel that much more rich and that much more believable and that much more expansive. So we kind of get this extended montage, basically Bolin and Asami uh, playing each other in Pi Show. And of course, Bolin gets whipped uh, most of the matches. Uh, and it just, it just was it's, it's a funny way to kill time, you know, just to kind of bring up something like that. At the same time, you, you, you show a passage of time by just kind of doing that. And then we just kind of get to the point there and everyone's kind of wondering, OK, you know, time has went by now. Ai Wei has yet to come out of his room. Maybe he left. We don't know what's going on. But Mako's like, no, he just looked through his window so many minutes ago. Of course, Cora being Cora. She pretty much can't take it anymore. She's like, okay, you know what? I'm going over there. We're running out of time. We need to figure out what's going on. So this is where they just kind of go in the room. And we see Ai Wei sitting there pretty much on the bed, meditation. It comes to the realization that he is now in the spirit world. So, um, you know, and once again, not much spirit world action. I mean, it, and honestly, in the last Airbender, you know, Aang was in the spirit world. It seemed like every other episode. And, but I mean, it just it just goes to show how different these characters are, right? Aang was so tied into his spirits, you know, he didn't have nearly as much trouble with that kind of stuff as Korra has. His, you know, his 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 bond with the spirits was so much greater. So he was there a lot more often. But every now and then, it's nice to them to kind of throw her in there and just remind us that you know the Avatar can do this as well. I'm not the only thing. Well, my confusion kind of comes in at, and 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 it's I think it's probably less about confusion and just more about it being a while since I've watched the older episodes, right? So you just kind of forget things every now and then. But um, I thought you maybe had to have some sort of a strong spiritual tie to the spirit world in order to be able to just go there, you know? And the Avatar has always had that. But what exactly allows Zaheer and Iway to be able to just freely travel there so easily? Once again... I'm probably just forgetting something, right? So if you happen to remember something that I don't, send me an email at republiccityreport at gmail.com and we'll talk about that um, on the next episode as well. But that's just kind of one of those things that I just kind of thought about. I was like, well, they, they, that was pretty easy. They kind of just jumped in there and jumped out. But more importantly is what we learned from being in there, right? Uh, Zahir, we've, of course, we find out that Iway was in fact working for Zahir. And not only that, they don't come right out and explain this, but you can kind of put two and two together to say that, OK, this is how at the end of um, I think it was. It must have been the end of the terror within or or the one before that, I forget. Um, but, you know, we have this moment where Zahir opens his eyes and he immediately knows where Korra is. He knows that they're in Zalfu. So it had to have been the the uh, the end of the episode before the terror within, which right now I'm not remembering. Uh, or maybe maybe it was original Airbenders. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Sorry. When you do a lot of these, I'm coming up on my 25th episode, so these <laughs> these things kind of start to run together in some ways, and they get confusing because the episode numbers start start over with each book, and then I have all the episode numbers of the podcast. Sorry. Uh, 
So yeah, that pretty much just shows us, okay, that, that was how, right? Because when he was meditating, he was actually in the spirit world meeting with Iway, and Iway told uh, them where Korra was. So that actually kind of answers the question that I had back then, because I was wondering, well, how did he know? Uh, Zahir, I mean, I can't, there's got to be more of a history with Zahir, because he just seems to be really good at everything. I mean, he got airbending and was a master. He's master traveling to the spirit world. I mean, he's just, this guy must have been something. And, you know, thankfully, through this whole scenario here, we do get to learn a lot about him. And we finally get to learn about the entire purpose of, of them even uh, really, at least originally, why they tried to kidnap Korra. Uh, but before we get to that, Korra's uh, is basically kind of eavesdropping on them at this point, And she, you know... Um, Zahir just kind of teleports and throws Iway into the fog of lost souls because he doesn't trust him and he feels like she he was followed and all this kind of stuff. And it turns out that he was because Korra and everyone were on his trail. So, you know, Zahir's not trying to leave any loose ends. So he basically uh, throws Iway. I don't think we've seen the end of Iway. We have seen people get out of the fog of lost souls. Um, Tenzin was trapped there. Um, there are ways out of it. Um, and them kind of putting him in there is kind of a way to just kind of sideline him for a moment, and then when they want to bring him back, somehow they'll have that option to do so. Um, because I still feel in the end, um, Sue Bayfong is going to go. She's going to be the one to want to get her revenge on him. So I don't think I think we'll still get that at some point. But uh, we finally get a face-off here between Kor and Zahir, and since they're in the spirit world, neither one of them can use their bending, so there's not much of a point of fighting. Or anything like that. Um, so Zahir just takes this opportunity to say, you know, if you have any questions for me, I will gladly explain. So here is where we get pretty, you know, the thing we've been wondering this entire season, this entire book, as to why exactly uh, is Zahir going after Korra and, and for what reason? So to kind of get to the point, we basically get an explanation from him explaining that um, he is a member of the Red Lotus Society. Now, we've talked briefly about the White Lotus because, well, all of these guys were actually being held captive by, in prison, by basically the White Lotus. And we remember, we found out in, the, in Airbender that the White Lotus was kind of this society that was made up of, of leaders from different nations uh, that just kind of had to take things in their own hands in some ways, but ultimately they ended up being a force for good. And what we find out from Zahir is that in his eyes, in his comrades' eyes, is that the White Lotus at some point lost its way, and that it kind of lost uh, what its original intent was, and they kind of became, um, for lack of a better word, I guess just kind of lackeys of the Avatar, and just kind of did whatever they wanted, and they kind of stood for government and everything, and in Zahir's opinion, that was never what it was supposed to be about. So one of the elder members of the White Lotus kind of branched off and started his own group called the Red Lotus. And this is where we get Zahir and everyone else. And then we find out, well, you know, the whole reason why they tried to kidnap Korra as a child actually involved Unalak, which they haven't brought up Unalak much this book. And for good reason. I mean, he's gone now as far as we know. And, and so, you know, I, I kind of had a rough time with some parts of book two. And so it's not all of that is very fond memories. I mean, some of it was kind of off. Some of it was good so far. You know, I'm loving everything about this book. But we find out that Unalak was involved in that. So even back then, which was I have to be I have to be honest, was kind of a disappointing 
thing to find out that that was I was waiting for some huge reveal, right? I was waiting for some big thing to be like, oh, wow, this is why they tried to kidnap Korra as a kid. But it ended up being just a part of an already established plan, right? So we didn't really get any new revelations there uh, because it was all part. It was pretty much part of the same plan that Unalak had from the beginning was that to use the Avatar to keep the spirit portals open. Now, the reasons may have been different in terms of what Zaheer's reasoning was and what Unalak's was because they did say they started they started off working with Unalak but then they got captured and Unalak basically covered his tracks and was still free and kind of took things into his own hands in terms of trying to uh, free Vatu and become a dark avatar and all that kind of stuff that was never a part of their plan but it was still kind of the, the same reason initially and that was because they wanted her to be the one to keep the spirit portals open now what we don't know yet as, as of this episode is why now they're still going for her, right? So there's still a revelation out there to be uh, revealed. Um, we don't know exactly what that is yet. So at least we still have that to look forward to. So there's not, I mean, we do find out a lot based here, but we don't find out everything, which is cool because we still have a couple episodes left and they still got to be a plot twist. It's still got to be some type of a surprise for us um, waiting. Now, here's another little funny thing that I thought that I, th I thought was interesting here. You know, just, just talking about Zahir again and all of his uh, his seems he seems to be very uh, powerful in so many different ways. And, and I don't think I've seen this before. Once again, you know, I'm probably just forgetting. But there is a moment where Zahir and Korra in the spirit world and they're having a conversation and Zahir is able to still talk using his physical body to his comrades to tell them where Core is. Has anyone seen that before? I just don't I don't remember them being able to communicate while in the spirit world until they actually go back into their bodies. I mean, I don't even think Aang was able to do that because I mean, Aang had to shield himself into rock and all this kind of stuff just so no one would bother him because he was defenseless as if he wasn't in his body. But, you know, Zahir has this ability to be able to talk to them even while he's in the spirit world. Now, I don't know if that's just something that they conveniently kind of created for this episode just to serve a purpose, but <laughs> that happens. And I thought that that was kind of strange, but you know, I don't know, maybe it was just a way of getting from point A to point B, but they basically, you know, he sends, um, Mingwa and Gazan. I think I'm kind of starting to learn these names a little bit, uh, to the, the Misty Palms Oasis to retrieve her body. Right. And in, in the, combustion bender bender decides to stay stay back and, and guard Zahir so with what seems to be a matter in a matter of minutes basically uh, they go to the Misty Palms Oasis and basically um, they're going after Korra and Mako and Bolin pretty much have to try their best to defend uh, but their idea is well you know Korra we can't wait Korra up because she's still in the spirit world so we have to try to get her out of here so they send Asami out on Naga with Korra to try to escape, um, which they managed to do while Mako and Bolin hold off, try their best to hold off uh, the, the two. Uh, I, I got to think of a better way of referring to them. Uh, Mingwa and Gazan, <laughs> the waterbender and the lava bender. So. Uh, we get a nice fight sequence there. Of course, it's not it's not much because they're I mean, they've proven time and time again that, you know, Mako and Bolin don't really 
stand much of a chance against these guys. But it's, it's interesting to see them try, and it's definitely awesome to always see them come to Cora's defense without any question, and they kind of just go for it, and, and they just kind of go for the fight. Now, something else, just kind of shifting back into Cora and Zaheer's conversation that is that is revealed through here, uh, is that basically, you know, Zaheer and the Red Lotus believe that, you know, government is not a good thing. Um, any any sort of a reign, any sort of a monarchy, any sort of governing body of any sort, it's not a good thing. That means a republic, like Republic City, where there's a president. That means uh, a kingdom, like like Bossing Se, where there's an earth queen. They just don't believe in any of that. They believe that the people should live their lives and the people should rule themselves. And it's basically sort of like an, an anarchy sort of a uh, perspective. And it's kind of reminiscent of Amon a little bit from book one. Although that was more so about benders and non-benders being equal. Uh, you can kind of see a parallel there between those two characters. Uh, which is not disappointing at all because it's still to me a very different perspective. And it's coming from a different place, which I like. But we find that out. So you kind of start to see maybe where this is all going, right? Because, you know, the last time we saw the president of Republic City, he pretty much told Cora that she wasn't welcome there anymore. And then we also saw the Earth Queen, who was basically just kind of, you know, um, trying to, you know, basically going to try to recapture all of them for, for them freeing the airbenders. So you start to kind of, if you, if you look at it that way, you can see how these problems are taking place. And, and, and the two main examples of the exact type of things right now that Zaheer is against, right? It's not a coincidence that these the events are happening in these two places that kind of represent exactly right now what they're trying to stop. Um, so we basically get that. And um, meanwhile, now Kor and Asami are actually captured. Okay, and immediately you may think that it's because of, you know, Zaheer and his crew, but you, we find out that no, it's actually uh, the Earth Kingdom forces have finally caught up with them. Remember, there were those wanted posters and things like that. So they pretty much get captured. And it's always funny um, to see, you know, which, what it takes to, to, to have to, to restrain the Avatar, right? I mean, Korra's got <laughs> every single part of her body is pretty much restrained, her mouth, everything, because she can just bend from different places and meanwhile you know Asami's just got like these handcuffs <laughs> but um that was pretty cool because you know you know we knew that that was going to come back around again right and meanwhile well um Mako and Bolin have pretty much lost the fight so now they're being taken captive so team Avatar at this point has been split they're both everyone's been captured um but and let's not forget, and this may be something that I didn't even mention at the beginning of the episode, but Lin Bei Fong is pretty much on their on their tail now. So um, there's still that hope out there. And of course, you know, which is just another situation that our characters are going to have to get themselves out of. And it'll be interesting to see how they manage to do that. So that's pretty much all I want to say about this episode. I mean, I guess the biggest revelation uh, from this was to find out exactly um, well, not exactly, but more so Zaheer's origin and the Red Lotus and why this is happening and everything like that. And rest assured that we'll just continue to find even more so within the next couple episodes. We're we're closing in on the end of the season. I mean, there's probably about three or four more episodes left 
which is interesting considering, you know, we haven't seen uh, anyone at the Northern Air Temple in a couple episodes now. So it'd be interesting to see when they decide to shift back over to that and why they decide to shift back over to that. Will it just be another one of those things to where they'll just throw out an entire episode that takes place in the Northern Air Temple? Because right now I'm kind of worried that it seems like there's not going to be. I mean, obviously, there's going to be another uh there's going to be another some more paths crossed right i mean we didn't do all that with the airbenders for nothing this is all going to come down to some big event where maybe they all get into a fight but it's just a little strange because we haven't seen kai in a while you know he introduced this new character and right now he doesn't seem to be involved much in this but once again you know a couple more episodes left a lot of things can happen and i'm sure it will so it'll be interesting to see when they shift back over to that into 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 and into what capacity so uh, now I'm going to do um, I want to shift over and read these two emails that I have for this episode. Um, once again, if you'd like to email me, email me at republiccityreport at gmail.com. Um, you know, if, if you have a theory or a question, you want to try to answer something that may be a question that I asked, something like that. Um, so I'm going to start off here with the first email here from Haven. Thank you for emailing me, Haven. Um, let's see your subject line here says theory on Zuko's dragon. Hmm, okay. Um, I'm going to read the entire thing, but I'm going to kind of, it's broken up into four parts. If you can actually, when you email me, um, um, just for future references, whoever, if there are court, yeah, just kind of break it apart for me. That way, cause it makes it a little easier for me to address everything that you, that you, uh, that you wrote about. So thank you Haven for, for doing that. Um, so let's see here. Haven writes, hello once more. I recently watched an episode from the Avatar The Last Airbender Marathon on Nickelodeon has been showing lately called Firebending Masters, which was when Zuko and Aang went to the Sun Warriors and saw the dragons. I noticed that when Zuko picked up the Sunstone, or the glowing egg, as Aang had called it, Zuko said that it felt almost alive. I realized that there... I realized that, hey, there are two dragons. Why wouldn't there be a dragon egg? I could pretty much guess that when Zuko became the forward, um, okay, that must be a typo, Fire Lord, um, he would outlaw dragon hunting, probably saying, just in case there are still some out there, so the Sun Warrior secret would still stay safe. But my guess is that at one point during his reign as Fire Lord, Zuko ended up going back to the Sun Warrior ruins and was presented with a dragon egg. I'm not sure if dragon eggs were supposed to be gold with carvings on them, but maybe it's just extra protection for the eggs so it won't be destroyed or cracked or anything. Uh, sure, that's a that's a great that's a great theory, and and honestly, that's one of those things that I don't think I even thought about very much. Um, I think I may have addressed it a little bit, just kind of wondering where that dragon came from. But I think I maybe just assumed that it came from the spirit world or something. Um, but yeah, I didn't I didn't really think about that much. That's that's a very good theory, and that's definitely something that uh, if it happened, <laughs> it was a while since I watched those episodes, so I don't I don't recall exactly. But that's that's a cool theory, um, because I'm sure someone was wondering where you know where did this dragon come from all of a sudden. Um, because he definitely didn't have that dragon when he was younger, but it stands to reason that, like you said, maybe that dragon was just an egg, maybe it was just a baby, and now that he's older, you know, there's there's this dragon, because Roku had a dragon, right? So, Avatar Roku had a dragon, I mean, you know, so it stands to reason that, yeah, the sun, the sun warriors and the temple and all of that, it's all, once again, it's always nice to come back to those kinds of things, and 
the beautiful thing about this show and this series as a whole is that if you look hard enough, you can go back and make sense out of everything. You know, there, there may be something that the question that you have and you may be thinking to yourself, well, what, did they ever bring this up? But if you look, you can go back to a random episode in Last Airbender and there'll be an explanation for it somewhere. Um, so that's very good theory there. So your email goes on. So basically, that's my theory on that. Also, in your recent podcast, you read an email mentioning how Zaheer had Aang's glider. That's not exactly correct, because from what we remember in the Avatar The Last Airbender series, Aang's original glider was destroyed and he got a new one from that weird inventor guy before the invasion. So if anything, Zaheer might have Tenzin's glider, considering he got it from Tenzin's study. Plus, from the design and color of Korra's glider, Korra might possibly have Aang's glider. Uh, yeah, there was an email that uh, I received. I can't remember offhand right now who it was, but someone had a theory that uh, that that was Ang's glider that Zahir was using, and I was asking for to be pointed to some sort of uh, I guess evidence of that, just because I felt like maybe if they said that somewhere, then maybe I had just missed it. But apparently, it must have been during that fight scene, which I watched many times because I talked about it between he and Kaya. There must have been a moment in there where he picked up the glider. Um, but as as Haven is saying here, um, there's, I don't think there's any actual official indication that that was Aang's glider because you're saying that Aang's original glider was destroyed and he got a new one. Um, the, yeah, those are the kind of details that I'm, whew, I'm really, I really have a hard time remembering. So I'm going to trust you guys when you say that it's probably not Aang's glider. <laughs> if whoever whoever wrote the original email about that and wants to write in and kind of dispute that, we can talk about it. But um, I was just curious as to you know what was leading toward to, toward that belief. Um, it stands. It also stands the reason though that Aang would have lost a couple of gliders in his life, you know, just from using those things so much. I mean, maybe he was even buried with it or something when he passed away. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, once again, you know, good theory, good answer, good response on that. Uh, the final part of email states, finally, I had a new idea for your 25th episode. I know you're really busy, so it would be difficult for you to do a lot of stuff that has been mentioned before. So I was thinking, what if you got one of the voices, producers, etc. from Legend of Korra to come to the podcast? You could pick out some emails about theories and certain questions and stuff for the person to answer and ask them some questions of your own. I know it's not a guaranteed idea, but since you have Facebook, you can go into one of the producer's pages and post a comment or something inviting one of them to come on your podcast. I know they do interviews for websites and stuff, so it's like a 50-50 chance they'll say yes. Now, that's, I mean, that's, I mean, obviously that's a great idea. Um, the only thing about that is that with my schedule, it would be, you know, with something like that, you have to, you obviously have to organize it, right? And you have to organize it with that. First, you have to try to get that interview. And then if you get it, you have to set a time and a date. And then you have to coordinate that uh, across different time zones and everything like that. And with my, you know, 25th episode being the next episode, which I'm recording this episode right here on August 8th. Okay, the actual episode, the actual date that that the next episode aired on so you know the next one i record will be episode 25 um so and i'm only really gonna i'm going to kind of extend that a little bit just to give you guys time more time to send me emails about something that you want to hear so it really kind of only leaves me about a week or so to try to make something like that happen 
once again, not completely shutting down any of these suggestions. Um, I can just, I've just kind of done things sort of like this before, and you know, it's it's really, it's really tough. Um, and not only that, but you know, I have a pretty good amount of listeners now. That's something else I want to mention is that I have been kind of, I kind of checked out the the download numbers lately, and they're looking really good. So I, first of all, I want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, but I need more, right? Because here's the thing. In order to get these people to come, you know, they you have to have listeners. I mean, someone's going to ask, okay, well, how many listeners do you have? How many how many downloads do you have? Because they want to make sure they're going to take their time to talk about something that is going to it's going to be felt, and then people will hear it, and people will hear it. But you know, it's just for example, you know, that Facebook page has probably got about seventeen likes on it. You know, like I couldn't I couldn't direct <laughs> if I directed them to the Facebook page, they would think that no one listens to the podcast. Which is not true, because like I said, you know, I've been looking at the numbers and they they far surpass the amount of likes on that page. But just to give you an example, um, is that I just I just need more. You know, I need more. I need more reviews on iTunes. I need more ratings on iTunes. I need more likes on the page. You know, these are the kinds of things that these people have to look at when they're when they're deciding which podcast, which outlets they want to talk to, especially now with all the controversy surrounding the show and you know, going online distribution, they're going to be even more selective on who they talk to and about what. So obviously I would love to have anyone from the staff on here that can kind of give us some answers and talk about some things. But, you know, we have to have the environment set up. I, you know, we I have to give them a reason to come on here. And like you said, it's, it's worth a shot. And maybe I will just go and post something on it. But, you know, I know I'm not the only podcast out there. I don't think there's a lot. But once again, you know, it's just unlikely that I'd be able to pull something off like that. But once again, not saying no to anything. So, Haven, thank you for your email. I've got one more here from Mark, and then we're going to go ahead and wrap this episode up. Uh, Mark from Australia writes, and this is actually pertaining to this episode, the stakeout. Says, hey, Tim, I just had another idea for the 25th episode when you talked about asking you questions in general. Is there any way we could have a live question time? It probably wouldn't be possible, but if we all hook up some way of instant messaging and you answer our questions about you or whatever as you get them, or even like a conference call or something, and record what you say, then that would be the podcast. I don't know, just an idea. Totally up to you. I believe you could even instigate a Facebook chat with all of us through the page. Obviously, it would be at some ridiculous hour for me, but that's cool. Mark, that's a great idea, and that's actually something that was suggested uh, briefly before by someone, um, but it all kind of ties back into that same thing with it just being like, in terms of scheduling, being very difficult to do, and honestly, it would not be fair to any of you guys, because at a lot of the times, I don't even know when I'm going to record the podcast. Um, we would even have, we would have to schedule it at some random weird time, and honestly, um, and, unless I'm missing something here, I mean, I'm... I'm what it what exactly would it would it, do you guys feel it would add for it to be live as opposed to just sending in the emails um right because i would i would assume that if you wanted to do it live that would mean you listening to me record the podcast uh live as it's happening and then send me the questions live now if that's what you mean by that well then the, you know maybe we can arrange that for another episode like maybe the season finale or something like that and maybe I can do like a Google Hangouts sort of, sort of a thing with video or something like that. And you guys could jump in the chat 
and ask me live questions then. Um, but see, that would be something that would take a little bit advance notice. So that's why I would say maybe for like the season finale or something like that, we can we can maybe arrange something like that. But as for right now, I mean, if you just have any questions you want to ask me in general, well, you can still send me an email and I'll still answer them on the podcast. So that's that's a great idea. And meanwhile, you know, like I said, get those in because we have about a week from today. Today's August 8th. So I'm gonna give you guys about another week to get all your questions in and everything for that 25th episode. I'm trying to work on something else a little bit more special for that. Um, but we will see what happens. So let's see um, for the rest of your email in relation to lava bending. I think that is a possible possibly a plot hole or something along those lines. This is because I feel like he shouldn't be able to make lava, but just control it. Essentially, lava is liquid rock, so controlling it is understandable, but to get it to that point requires superheating, which would be the sole realm of the firebenders, which is why we have only seen avatars do it so far, Roku, Kiyoshi, as they combine firebending and earthbending. However, waterbenders can change the phase of water, so maybe this is what he does as opposed to superheat. Uh, to superheat it, but because the melting point of Earth is much higher, it takes a lot more energy than it does for waterbenders, and hence only very gifted earthbenders could do it. Talking about combining two or more types of bending at once is something I wish this show would do more of with the avatars. However, I, I can understand why they don't, because each bending requires a different stance, and you can't have two stances at once. It would just be cool to see a swirling shot of all four elements hit some bad guy. <laughs> uh, very good points there. Um, yeah, I'm, I hate to say it, but I think that the lava bending thing just may be a plot hole, too, because I, I honestly do not remember that ever being a thing before they introduced this new character. Um, but the beautiful thing about every time they introduce one of these things is that you can always find a way to rationalize it, right? And, and you did. <laughs> you kind of found a way to explain it, and it does make sense. The only thing about this kind of stuff is that if after a while it gets really convoluted right because you start to think well if they can make lava using you know rock and and, and fire well, then what's to stop you know like you can if you break it down so far there's so many different ways this air bending can be used and and, and water bending and and i just sometimes I, I want them to kind of stay away from that because like i said it can get really convoluted to the extent of everyone's powers and how how deep it can go and you know, I appreciate the extra things like the lightning and, and the blood bending. But, you know, once you start getting to all these other things, then it, it starts to become a little confusing. And you start to lose track of who's doing what and how and why. And that's just one. Of, I mean, it's kind of one of those things that comes along with having a, um, a world that is so fleshed out is that you can do all those things. But you kind of have to be careful that you don't go too far because you can confuse people. And you say that you think it'd be cool to see a swirling shot of all four elements hit some bad guy. Uh, I do remember a couple brief scenes. I remember Aang um, was going to do that, right? When he was fighting Fire Lord Ozai. I remember him having this... He had all the elements like swirling around him in one of the coolest moments of the series. And I think he made that thing into one spiraling attack. But he ended up not hitting him with it because he didn't want to kill him, right? He ended up just taking away his bending. Um, but yeah, it would be kind of cool to actually see somebody deliver one of those blows <laughs> at some point. Uh, but yeah, in relation to, like you said, for lava bending, I do feel like maybe it's a plot hole. If someone, you know, can point us to something a little bit more concrete than that, then send me an email at republiccityreport at gmail.com. Uh, now for the very last part of your email, Mark, let's see. It says, 
Anyway, about the stakeout episode, it was good to finally find out the motives of Zahir and company. This is something this show does so well is have villains who have righteous ideas and ideals that drive them but are misguided. This season has not disappointed with that as well as the most noble of all the ideals driving our antagonists. I feel that they are growing closer to villains that people can get behind. What I mean is that Amon was driven by equality, but he wanted to make everyone the same to achieve this. Unalak was driven by balance, but was too consumed by his own posturing self-importance to see the era in releasing personified evil and causing destruction. However, with the Red Lotus, they're aiming for not having nation leaders, which the show has shaped to be needed, but thinks that the natural order is disorder, a terribly misguided view. Good luck with all the business, Mark, Australia. Mark, thanks for emailing me, as always. That is a very, very wise and intelligent perspective there that you have there on that. Uh, and that's one thing that, you know, we've, I've always loved about this show in general, as well as the villains, is that they are very much not one-note villains. They are very fleshed out. They have motivations. They have reasons. They're not even just clear-cut bad guys. You know, some of these... You, you can watch a million different shows where the bad guy is just a villain. He's just evil because he's mad. You know, he wants to take over the world. But all of these these bad guys always have their reasons. And, and in some sort of a way, it's easy to see why why other people would join them. Because they, you know, it's it's a very it's a very tricky thing. I mean, even half of the time, Cora doesn't know if what she's doing is truly right. You know, Avatar Wan thought that shutting the world off from the spirits was the best thing to do and then later on we find out that maybe it wasn't and Korra decides well that was a mistake so you know it's all about balance in the end and who's really right and who's wrong in the long run we don't know but what we do know is that the methods right it comes down to the methods like the 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 end game the the, the result that these guys may want to happen from this may ultimately end up being for the better but if people have to get hurt in the meantime, is it worth it? And, and that's where the, the line is drawn. And that's what makes it easier for us to, dis, to be a little bit more uh, to distinguish the, the good guys from the villains on this show is because, you know, who knows what 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 the Red Lotus want in the end may be better for the world. But do you necessarily want to topple government and all of that? No, because we're going to see a backlash of that. Right. Uh, rest assured that if you take down government, people are going to riot. They're going to go crazy. They won't be able to govern themselves. They're, so once again, it's all about balance. You can't have one thing without the other. So there's got to be a balance there. And Republic City is probably the best example that they've gotten of that so far. Um, because once again, you can't just do away with all monarchy and everything because people are are, are crazy. <laughs> and, and, and the people are wild at heart and... and and human beings can be very rational beings. Um, so, you know, all of this kind of ties into a lot of things just in real life. You know, it's not even, once again, this show has, has far surpassed just being a cartoon at this point. I mean, this is philosophy. This is life. This is, this is real world. And everything can be applied in some way to things that are going on in, in the actual world. So... Um, yes, I agree. That was always a fantastic thing. You know, we people have misguided views, and I love that that kind of thing transfers to the show and to the villains and into the storylines that we get. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up because I've already kind of gone over time. But Mark, thanks again for sending me an email. Uh, reminder, if you'd like to send me an email, send me an email to republiccityreport at gmail.com. And uh, I will be back very soon with episode 25. So reminder here. 
Today is August 8th. Uh, I don't know when this podcast will actually be up. Probably on the 9th. But uh, 25th episode. So is there anything special you want to see? There's any questions you want to ask that are related to Legend of Core or just me in general? Send those in. I'll try to do something special for that episode. Give you guys a little bit more time on that. Please head over to iTunes and leave me a review if you have a chance. I mean, these are the kinds of things that at the end will make it easier for me to get interviews and everything like that with cast members and all of that, right? Because that's the first thing they're going to do. They're going to pull it up on iTunes. They're going to say, okay, well, how many reviews does it have? How many people listen? And and all that. And I'm doing, once again, doing rather well with the numbers. But um, we've just got to make it a little more known. We've got to be a little bit more... You know, it's got to be a little bit more visible if I want to start to be able to do things like that. So I want to thank you guys for all the support you've been giving so far. Uh, please also head over to awesomepods.com. That's awesomepods.com if you just want to see the other podcasts that we have, and, uh, you know, including another one called Geekly Dose that I do. I have a co-host on that podcast, and we also have the producer in the studio, and the three of us just talk about geek stuff. Movies, video games, comic books, all that kind of stuff. Um, we haven't updated that in a couple weeks because we did... Uh, we did a, a huge episode where we talked about all of the rumored DC movies coming out. We also did a full episode of E3 game coverage. So we did both of those. So we kind of been taking a break. And, and we're going to come back sometime next week with a Comic-Con episode, as well as an episode just talking about the new Ninja Turtles movie. Um, because that has been something that has come up plenty of times on our podcast. So we'll be coming back with two brand new episodes very soon. Make sure you go over and subscribe to that. Uh, you can also like Facebook.com slash AwesomePods. So, um, and I think that's going to pretty much do it for this episode. Uh, I will see you guys soon for episode 25. So get your emails in. So until then, till next time for Republic City Report, I'm Tim Bridgewater Bender. Thank you guys and see you next time. Facebook.com slash awesome pods and follow us on Twitter at awesome pods.